And Steve Aoki, welcome to the Music Podcast, a, a very rare filmed edition of the Music Podcast. Yeah, cool. I'm happy to be here. Uh, as we speak, it's what, Monday afternoon? You played in Sydney on Saturday at Marquee, which I know you're no stranger of. How's the show? It was great. It's it's very it's a very um, uh, small club, mm-hmm. so it's very intimate. The ceiling's very low as well. Yeah. It's um sometimes like in environments like that, it feels like like um, I can't do my whole show, you know? Because you're a very energetic guy. Yeah, I like to move around. <laughs> yeah. I like having a stage. I yeah. love a stage. I love having a stage where yeah. I can run around. Uh, the DJ booth is like one element. And then I need room. And, um, yeah, so I, I love Marquee, though. It's, they're they're good people. They always book me. And, you know, but if I have a choice, I'd rather be on a stage. Mm. And that's just, that's just, like, my preference. Yeah. Are you going to be coming back to do any more, I guess, headline gigs as far as not in a club setting, in a, in a venue setting? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, nothing planned now. I, th- like, I was originally supposed to play a festival. Yeah. And somehow the festival didn't happen. So we just were like, you know, you know what? We're just going to do our own shows. Mm-hmm. And so we did the three shows, Brisbane, Melbourne, and uh, Sydney. Mm-hmm. And so I I definitely plan to come back. I mean, I, I last time I was here was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And the time that before that was about two years ago. So I hope I can do the, the annual visit instead of the two-year, once every two years. Because you were here last year for the ARIA Awards, right? It was two years ago, yeah. Oh, it was two years ago. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, time flies. Because, yeah, the 2018 event happened, what, last week? Yeah. And actually, yeah. I, was, I saw Zane Lowe for a little bit, and I was like, yeah, you were here with Aoki, and he had nothing but nice things to say about you. Maybe I was here in 2017. Sure I, I, I'm pretty I, sure it was. Maybe, I, I, mean, my, I mean, I do like, what, 230 shows a year, so it's not like, yeah. it's hard to remember. I just remember, like, I know I was here in 2016, <laughs> yeah. but so then you've been maybe, I, maybe I was here in 2017. Yeah. yeah. I think you presented an award, I think. I did. Yeah. I did. I presented an award with uh, with a female artist. I think it was Baby Rex. I'm not sure. Yeah. I forgot who it was. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, obviously, you're in town to promote uh, the new album, Neon Future 3. Yeah. It's been out for a couple of weeks now. Um, incredible album for, for so many different reasons. Uh, one of them being the amount of diverse acts on there. A couple of emerging bands like BTS and Blink-182. So, good work for giving them the nod. Um Blink-182 has been around a long time, <laughs> man. smart. That's obvious. Oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I was just kidding. Just kidding. But, dude, yeah. like, Jim from Jimmy Eat World, yeah. um, the amount of – the diversity on this is pretty incredible. Yeah. I know you, you said this album and, obviously, Neon Future 1 and 2 are yeah. very much about technology. But yeah. was the point of it embracing technology as well as bracing such broad genres? Yeah, I mean, I think on a musical, on a musical token for me – Doing an album allows me to collaborate across the board and think not not so much on uh, on a song on how it affects my shows or how it affects like you know streams, but a concept. So the concept was to be always just broad and far reaching, and um, but but it has to have some theme embracing tech, the tech world, mm. and science. So with Neon yeah, Future One, I'd Ray Kurzweil. The man behind Singularity, and and uh, you know probably one of the more prominent voices of you know f- like kind of science fiction becoming science fact, mm. like those ideas of immortality, Singularity. Of course, that's his thing. Uh, and uh, I had Aubrey de Grey, who wrote a book called Ending Aging, who I read, uh, which I read, which uh, talks about 
immortality. You know, can we get there? And Neon Future 2, I had Kip Thorne, astrophysicist, one of the leading uh, astrophysicists in the world, also was involved in Interstellar. And uh, after I saw that film, I was like, I need to inter interview or talk to Kip Thorne. And J.J. Abrams was like the the big name mm. for from the science world community. Yeah. And he's a friend of mine, and he jumped on the album, which was great. And, um, and Neon Future 3, I have Bill Nye. So every Neon Future chapter or album, however you want to call it, is always going to have some relationship with science or tech uh, in that space. And, I always, and I, I've been putting it out there. I've been putting it out there that I want to collaborate with Elon Musk. And, yeah, uh, right. you know, I mean, the, the ideal collaboration would be in the studio yeah. and us just, like, kind of figuring stuff out as, as I do with other artists. Or just, you know, record something on a, into an iPhone and send it back to me, you know? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. The, the meeting with Bill Nye, that was just you taking advantage of the fact that you guys are doing a panel together, right? Yes, yeah. So, what, you so just, during this panel, you just thought, this will be a cool fucking idea to ask Bill Nye. Well, I was in the green room with him. I mean, I didn't yeah. ask him during the panel, but yes, in the green room, I was telling him my my whole neon future, you know, idea. You know, because I'm, I'm just a few, I'm a techno-future optimist. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, uh, I, I'm a big ally as tech and humanity come together to the point where we you know i, I feel like we'll essentially become like cyborgs mm. and then we'll be able to live forever through our technology um not necessarily like symbolically either but um you know i was telling him all this stuff and i'm like you know why it'd be great to have you you're you're bill nye the science guy and it's like you know instead of setting up an interview just press record like record me right on here on your iphone yeah, so I just recorded him right there, and I was like, "Just talk about your version of the future." And he's like, "He's like, I'm just gonna do my thing." Mm. So he's like, "Oh, neon, huh? Neon." So he was just part of the noble gas. Yeah. What you hear on the album is him just kind of just. Yeah, yeah. I just had him like do his thing, you know. <laughs> so that was pretty cool, and you know, I think there's more tidbits I left out, but like, I got to the point where it fits with the song that I made uh, for that vocal, mm. and it's it's like dark and ominous and. It's actually one of my favorite songs on the album. Mm. Uh, is there any collaborations that you've had, particularly on this album, that you were kind of like, holy shit, I mean, besides Bill Nye, that you were kind of like, holy shit, that is a huge get. That is, And well, also that it's going to not only surprise your fans, but maybe the fans of that person you brought on as well. Okay, if we go down the list, there's like all the collaborations, as, as we're talking about, they are very diverse. They're mm. broad. Like you have Lady Antebellum. That was... Um, I've always wanted to work with a country artist. And I, I think... They're a good example of an artist that's like in a different world where I can't just go to country artists and start like, hey, you want to do a song together? It's just, it's like cold calling like that is almost leads to, you know, uh, no progress. So, sure. but in this case, I did kind of put my, my, my voice out to the community saying I would love to work with a country artist. And somehow that general kind of putting it out to the world allowed them to hear it somehow and they got back to me and they're like we want to we would love to work with you mm. so that was kind of like i didn't hit them up directly but it got they caught wind because at the end of the day um whether you're a dj producer whether you're a country band producer or songwriter we all kind of use very similar channels on how we um you know kind of send out our songs around if you are sending out your songs around mm. um sometimes some bands they just work internally and they only they, they songwrite all their songs and some artists like Bastille for example uh, he songwrites for 
not just Bastille. Like he, he's a great songwriter. Sure. Cashio is a great songwriter. There's a lot of great songwriters that, that are also, you know, big, yeah. big artists. Yeah. So in the songwriting camps, like the, the word does spread. So I always, I hit up a lot of different camps. I have my own camps as well, mm-hmm. uh, working towards projects. And, uh, and I mean, you know, you keep your ear to the ground there yeah. and uh, have a good relationship with, with your publisher and just, just try to, you know, connect the dots that way. Mm. You know, sometimes it does work through just artist to artist communication, whether it's DMing or, you know, like sending a direct message, you know, uh, yeah. on social media. Sometimes it does work. Actually, it's worked a few times. But, mm. um, yeah, Lady Antebellum was a great collaboration where it's like, I, you know, you didn't, you didn't know what to, you didn't know what was going to happen, and then uh, you have to rely on. The, the the thing I was trying to say before was that you have to rely on the fact that they want to work with you. You know, so it's not just like... Because I, I think one of the most asked questions about like the collaborative spirit of what I do is mm. is people tend to think, oh yeah, he's Stevie O can get any collab he wants. That's not true. I I put myself out there constantly. And, and to be honest with you, the, the collaborations like the other artists I work with, they're all very busy as it is. Mm. So they have their own schedules. They have their own timelines and deadlines and singles and records and releases. And they have to carve away time to do a collaboration with another artist. So, and at the end of the day, it's not just working with the artist. It's about the song itself. Mm. You can work with a great artist and you have a great relationship. But if you don't have a song that, like, you know is, is exceptional... Because at the end of the day, there's, you know, we're talking about the music podcast. At the end of the day, there's a lot of music mm. out there. So you can't just be good. You can't even be great. You have to be exceptional. Mm. You have to be, like, overly exceptional. So that's the only way you're going to not get stuck in the saturation in the, right in the middle of the muck. Mm. So, um, you know, and when you work with some of these professional artists that, that have that have a career, you know, producing and making singles and pushing culture in, in the direction that they're looking at, uh, they, they're not making good music. They're making exceptional music. Yeah. So um, if, you, if you can get in the studio with them and they believe at least in the idea, sometimes it might not end up to the place where you're going until it's exceptional. Well, someone like we touched on, obviously Blink is on this album. Um, you've had a relationship with Travis Barker for a, for a while now. Someone like Mark Hoppus, who obviously lives and breathes punk rock, uh, and for fans of your music as well, they would know back you started like you're a little punk yeah. rocker and hardcore. Is someone like Mark Hoppus tough to get on board? Like, oh, I don't want to be associated with with the dancing, or is he completely open to any collaboration? Um, I don't think he's he's like uh, like I, may, I wouldn't say he's hesitating on the electronic world. I think if anyone that was hesitating would be uh, Tom Morello. When yeah, I because wow. I, I I produced a song for his album. Yeah, he so, was actually on the podcast as well, and he was saying that he wanted to take his music out there as well. Yeah, like I know. I, I know that his album in particular, not to veer off from Blink One Eighty Two, but Tom Morello's album, like he did talk about it, where in a way where it is coll- heavily collaborated, mm. obviously, um, and and he does work with other DJs. He's actually like actually most most of the collaborations seem to be DJ driven production, and uh, but when it comes to like EDM. When it comes to like the music that that I've been, you know, be a, been a part of for for a long time, um, he called it Italian Taxi Drive 
taxi cab music. So for him to <laughs> work with someone that, you know, that like represents that sound yeah. is probably a foreign for him. Like, I, I wonder how this is going to be. Yeah. Let's see where it goes. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens with the song. When it ended up being like a fantastic collaboration. Yeah. But um, uh, with Mark, it's different. It wasn't like that. Plus, I've been friends with Mark a long time. I haven't musically worked with him up until of recent mm-hmm. um, because he's actually involved in two songs on the album. He's involved okay. in obviously the Blink One Eighty Two record, but the the Golden Days record with with Jim Atkins yeah. from Jimmy World, yeah, because that 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 record also started in the same place in John Feldman's studio, mm. and and it was a different session, but we were all in the studio with with it, with like a f- familiar cast. Callum was, from Five Sauce was on Golden Days. Yes, too, he, right? yeah, he yeah. was originally. Yeah. So, but like I think that with anyone, even if you think that they have like a reluctancy to to work into a different space because it's like what are our fans going to think you need to get in the studio with with that artist what whoever whatever genre they're part of and see if there is like this human to human connection and can we make something that really represents both of our worlds mm. so it's like i think in my assumption uh when i was in the studio with mark and travis um then we were able to get to a place where like okay we could see the light at the end of the tunnel on an idea to to really make mm. a uh this 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 crossover electronic um pop punk mm. collaboration you know so um and trust the trust is like i think also been based on the fact that i've been working with Travis for a long time i've been you know i i've been friends with mark for a while but we haven't worked musically. So there's like a level of trust, like, okay, I'm going to take this risk. But there is a level, like we, we were able to, to breach, breach that uh, world of, of like taking this step forward because we're in the studio together. We got to a good musical place where we're like, okay, I think we can actually move forward. And then the next step was Golden Days. Like there's another idea. Your relationship table. with Jim from Jimmy World goes back 20 years, right? Yeah. Is it you owned a soup kitchen? Uh, you, you could call it that, like almost. It pre- pretty much was. I mean, I was definitely part of this group called Food Not Bombs, where we would we'd feed the homeless, like you know. Yeah. But like the pickle patches, which is the name of our apartment. Okay, it's an apartment. Also, it wasn't, it wasn't a kitchen at all. It was your, your house. Yeah, yeah but it, I, I guess you can almost think it's of it as a kitchen because it's called the pickle patch yeah okay, yeah sure but it was just a like a hokey name that one of the the roommates made up where the that, fuck do you get pickle patch from be honest uh you know what you gotta ask this guy named michael Bryan, otherwise known known as ob who lived there before me yeah and he named it that and they were putting on shows one year before i moved there i was living in a vegan co-op which is almost like what you're talking about yeah, a food yeah, kitchen, yeah. because we were serving vegan food constantly yeah we had 17 people living in this this um, house and we put on Jimmy World there so I was doing shows as a teenager uh, going into my my 20s in college and I was housing and uh, housing and and putting on these shows of these budding bands that were breaking mm. like Jimmy World at the drive-in and so forth but uh yeah and I just remember like you know they were, they came and played twice for maybe 25 bucks a show like 20 they got 25 dollars yeah. because the show was like we would charge five bucks, and if you didn't have the money, you just get let in because it's you know it's a house, it's like a house party. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, they slept they slept on the dirty floor with twenty five bucks in their pocket, and we fed them vegan food and and uh, walked around town. It was it was a very different. So at least you could always twenty years later be on your album, right? 
Yeah, 20 years later, $25 later. (laughs) No, no, but um, yeah, it's just funny that like, I just, you know, I love them. Like I follow them around. I just go see their shows when I was in high school. And, uh, and, and then, you know, like I never thought I would ever collaborate musically Mm. with them, you know, because I was in bands as well. But, you know, we were nowhere. We, I just, we just never thought that we would ever collaborate at that level or I would ever. Mm. So, yeah, you know, when, when, Neon Future 3 came around and we're like, okay, we all agree that Golden Days uh, would work really well with Jim's voice. Then I called up Jim and talked to him. I'm like, I don't know if you remember this, but <laughs> I'm the same kid that put on these shows in, in my call. I was like, yeah. oh, I know. Yeah, of course I know yeah, it was you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like, I was waiting for this call. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it's still really cool. It's still really cool. Because... You kind of like as far as collaborations go, this album is pretty pretty great and diverse, as we said. For a next album or an EP or whatever you do next, I mean, you mentioned Elon Musk is a is someone on your wish list. Is there anyone else that might surprise? Yeah, uh, well, Neon Future Four will be the next chapter, and it's just as loaded. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's a very very like uh, another complex kind of a far far broad and reaching album as mm-hmm. well. Because I've I worked on both albums at the same time. So, um, and I'm still working on finishing new songs for this album. I'm still f- trying to find the right features on some of these songs that I've, that I've, that are done. Um, but yeah, on the science scope of things, um, I am putting my, my, uh, you know, reach out there to mm. the science community. And one, one of which is, uh, um, Yuval, Yuval Harari. He's like, he wrote Sapiens okay. and, uh, and, and, uh, Deus, Deus, yeah. So he, he, I just finished Sapiens, now become my favorite book I've ever read. So I would love to have his take because his, his original book, Sapiens, is, is on the kind of the short history of, I think it's called Short History of Humankind. Mm. So it goes back to the, the beginning of like uh, us as hunter gatherers or, um, you know, battling for land as, as, as on that plane of existence to, you know, how we evolved through, you know, our different revolutions of time mm. um, till now, and then his new book, not his new book, is his, his, his the book after *Sapiens* is called *Deus*. It's like where are we going next? What the future looks like for humankind? So it's very much on the long lines. As far as science is concerned, is that what kind of excites you the most about the future and where we're going, what we're doing? That seems to be like when you're talking to me, the yeah. thing that is most exciting about this. I, I'm excited that that like. I can envision a future where a lot of these science fiction theories and ideas have a good likelihood of happening in our lifetime or, or better, better yet, the idea that we are so close to certain levels of science that, and technology and research that we are going to be either the last generation to die or the first generation to live forever. So if you like, if 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 we can get there fast enough, yeah, right. So the idea is that we, if we can get, to, if we can push our technology and research uh, on how to reverse cellular degeneration, how to cure cancer and and brain degenerative diseases, and um, how to cure the ailments that are wiping out the population, how to look at possibly the idea that that death is just a disease that we can't cure yet. Mm. But the idea that it is a disease that we can cure, if like, and I feel like we're getting closer and closer to a lot of these these um, answers. At least I'm hopeful. Mm. 
mm. uh, then the idea of death would be like something that people used to get. So you and think die it's from. possible that death could be something that we can fix, that we can cure, we can stop? Yeah, just like polio, just like uh, yeah. the Black Plague, or just like certain things that, you know, I mean, until those periods, until, you know, when, when there was like diseases that ravaged millions upon millions of people, there was an acceptance that like that's how you would die if you live in those areas where um, leprosy existed or whatever, like whatever that happened. Mm. Uh, and you'd be like, well, that's just part of fate. That's just how it is. And then you find the cures and then it's just, now we look at it like, what? People still die from that? Like it's, we've already cured that 50 years ago. So I feel like with technology, the way we think culturally about how we live our lives, about what death and life is, is going to change. And, and ultimately is changing slowly but surely. It's not like, if you think about it like this, if you put like, uh, if you like touch hot water with your finger, that's like boiling, you're, you're going to get burnt and you're, you're you know, and it's like going to hurt you. Mm. But if you're going to like heat up the water slowly, it doesn't like burn you so quickly. Not saying like the negative out, the, the end outcome is negative, but the idea is that as we slowly evolve with technology, we accept things that are, that are new to us mm. that, that would be like, us we go no 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 death is like something that that uh you know like nowadays if you say like death is a something that is a disease that will kill you of course you know and it's now it's not mm. you'd be like no 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 hell hell no like mm. it's against my religion or it's like impossible but who knows what can happen in the future and then the way we think about that would be just different you know like because I, I mean it's just like with anything as far as embracing technology because you know especially the the older generation will say, you know, we don't need iPhones, you don't need that, you know, we do things back in the old day. Right. Um, there is a part that you, you know, embrace technology, but there also is a part where, you know, you see kids, you know, like my dad will always say, on the buses we used to talk, but now everyone's on their on their smartphones. Right. So, or you go to the supermarket, now you can check out your own food. Do you think there's a part of technology that also is like, we're kind of like breaking down and stopping the way people interact? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's something that that is uh, that I learned from Jim Quick. He's a memory coach. Um, he calls it digital dementia. Mm. So um, as, we, as we use our technology, we soften our brains. And just like anything, our brain is a muscle that you have to work out in order for it to be strong. So um, because of technology allows us to be like flaccid in, mm. our, in, our, in our muscle. So yeah. we have to like, constantly train it you know, by the same time using technology for the, you know, uh, for the, gr the greater purpose of to, to do more in our lives. So we want to do more in our lives, right? That's the end goal. We use technology to actually experience things greater, to do more. All those things are important. That's why we use technology, to live longer lives, to make each other happier, whatever it might be, uh, to consume more, whatever, whatever it might be for, for however way the technology is used. But you got to balance it just like with the most human purposes is, is of just making sure that you're, you know, that you're, you're working yourself out. Just like if having too much food in front of your plate, eat the right foods, you know, use your brain, work out. So your, your muscles and organs are, are working properly and you won't get the cancers. Mm. You won't get the diseases that like will, you know, inflame your body parts or inflame your organs or whatever it might be to kill you. So I think the same thing goes with technology. It's just like having a big plate, plate of food in front of you is like understanding what works for your body, um, how you have to need, you have the, the need to work out, the need, the need to, to um, you know, work out your brain up here, work out that muscle up there is, is just as clearly as important as, um, you know, uh, 
or I, I think better example is uh, just re- regulatory. You know, the whole idea of regulations. Like we we have, if you don't have the education and awareness on a, a new idea, it could be used out of context without understanding it. Mm. If you have the education awareness and the regulations come with that, then you have ways to have people, you know, be able to do the most they can with that that new idea, technology, uh, and and not harm themselves, harm each other, you know, harm mm. the environment. I think if anyone's seeing your Netflix documentary, you proved that you really don't need that much sleep because it was a 2015 or 2016, you clocked 300 shows in a year. Is it 2015? I don't even remember. Yeah, it was something like that. It's definitely a year where I... I I hit, I hit it. I was looking, oh, yeah. right before you got here, I was looking at your tour dates and obviously you've just played Sydney. I think by this time next week or by this time at the end of next week, you will have already played China, South Korea, and Japan. Yeah, so this is actually, strangely <laughs> and ironically enough, this is a very slow period of the year. Um, sure. There's like, like, <laughs> like nine shows in the next five days. Yeah, I know, but that's like a clump. You know, like yeah, okay. summertime we're doing like, I don't know, around 25, 30 shows a month. So, so um, do you know how many you've done this year alone? Um, I, I took off April from a shoulder surgery. Okay. Um, so, you know, so cutting when, out when that you hurt yourself is when you stop. I'm still like, I, I'm still clocking in over 200. But um, the, the, the number that I've been hitting on average is about 230. Okay. That's, like, that's like the sweet spot number for me. Because it's like 300 is like you have zero life. Yeah, and also you have to literally every day off is a studio day, mm. so you know. So three hundred is too much, but you're happy with two thirty. Two thirty is a you're pretty bring it back pretty a little water. bit. Two hundred. Yeah, I mean somewhere between two fifteen and two thirty is like is is I'm I'm yeah. happy with. Do you find um, it weird when people say like that's a crazy amount? I think Pete Tong said you're an unusual guy, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say for Pete Tong. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think it's also the same. The analogy I can give you is like. When you're in the car and you're driving at 70 miles an hour, you don't feel like you're going that fast as, as, as if you're if you're just constantly driving at that speed. But yeah. if you're the guy on the side of the road watching cars zoom by you at 70 miles an hour, you're like, wow, that's fast. Yeah. But be in the car with me and then like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. like, but some yeah. people don't like being in a fast car yeah. as well. So some people like being in the slow lane. And I don't, you know what? Everyone has their own way of thinking about life. So mm. I like being... I like being in that Ferrari going 70 miles an hour mm. or more like 90, whatever. Uh, but I'm also not reckless, you know. I'm not driving, drink, drinking, you know. Mm. I'm like very conscientious, conscientious of my environment and, you know. And I'm not like, I'm talking symbolically too, you know. Well, it's so, cool. yeah, right before we started filming this, you've got a day off tomorrow, but it's still a full day. You're just doing a lot of fun shit. You're going scuba diving with sharks, right? Yes, yes, that's that's exciting. I love sharks. Sharks are um, some of my favorite species in the world. Um, I love, I love, um, I love scuba diving as well. So combining that is is great. Um, and then wake surfing. I love being anywhere in or near the ocean mm. or on the ocean. Um, and in uh, in the bridge climb, I'm going to do that. I've, Have I've, you done that before? I've come to Sydney so many times. I've never done the bridge climb. And so I'm like, I got to do it this time. Yeah, it's going to be hot. So at least the weather's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming by. Yeah. Congrats again on Neon Future 3. It's out now. Uh, we hope to see you back here for a, for a full tour. Thank you. Thanks, dude. All right. Thanks to our great sponsors, Ordera Headphones. Ordera Headphones focus on what really matters. And that's what you can hear. 
Personalized specifically for your hearing, they do everything great headphones should. Noise cancelling, great battery life, and most of all, they're super comfy. All you have to do is download the app, take its hearing test, and you're good to go. Check them out at their website, audera.com. That's A-U-D-E-A-R-A.com.